hands, and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Dearly beloved brethren, the scripture moveth us in sundry places to acknowledge and confess our manifold sins and wickedness, and that we should not dissemble nor cloak them before the face of Almighty God our Heavenly Father, but confess them with an humble, lowly, penitent and obedient heart, to the end that we may obtain forgiveness of the same by his infinite goodness and mercy. And although we ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before God, yet ought we most chiefly so to do, when we assemble and meet together, to render thanks for the great benefits that we have received at his hands, to set forth his most worthy praise, to hear his most holy word, and to ask those things which are requisite and necessary, as well for the body as the soul. Wherefore, I pray and beseech you, as many as are here present, to accompany me with a pure heart and a humble voice unto the throne of the heavenly grace, saying after me. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have heard and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy we have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind. In Christ Jesus you are, Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a long and righteous and sober life for the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desireth not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, and hath given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardoneth and absolveth all them that truly repent and unfeignedly believe his holy gospel. Wherefore let us beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that those sins may please him which we do at this present, and that the rest of our life hereafter may be pure and holy, so that at the last we may come to his eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for heaven and heaven.
Here beginneth the first verse of the 23rd chapter of the second book of Samuel. Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and the staff of his spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. Here endeth the first lesson.
Here begins the 16th verse of the 28th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Then the eleventh disciples went into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here ends the second lesson. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to the judgment quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <coughs>
Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, thine unworthy servants, do give thee most humble and hearty thanks for all thy goodness and loving kindness to us and to all men. We bless thee for our creation, preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all for thine inestimable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we beseech thee, give us that due sense of all thy mercies, that our hearts may be unfeignedly thankful, and that we show forth thy praise not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to thy service, and by walking before thee in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with thee and the Holy Ghost be all honour and glory world without end. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen. The choir will now sing the anthem, which is Howells' hymn for St. Cecilia. Gates 
of this Priory Church to treat with King Richard II. The revolting peasants, which word I use by way of description, not judgment, sat down in Blackheath to a sermon by John Ball, a priest who had annoyed the Archbishop of Canterbury in his public pronouncements and had found himself thrown into jail for his pains, a punishment from which he had only just been released by the rebel forces. And sitting in Blackheath, these rebels heard, perhaps for the first time, that couplet when Adam delved and Eve span, who was then the gentleman. Well, Eve might have spun cloth, but John Ball was spinning in a far more contemporary sense. He went on, from the beginning, all men by nature were created equal, were created alike, and our bondage or servitude came in by the unjust oppression of naughty men. Trendy political sermons from the pulpit, clergy winding up the Archbishop of Canterbury, how unlike the home life of our own dear C of E, although at least today's archbishops have fewer robust tools at their disposal when dealing with recalcitrant clergy. The Peasants' Revolt, which came to its bloody end just outside in Smithfield, is but one of the clashes of history we hear of when political theology emerges from the dusty libraries of colleges and parsonages and makes its way onto the streets, and even worse, onto the battlefields. That primal image, spun by Father Ball, of humanity being free until oppressed by naughty men, is one of the refrains of political discourse that sounds as strong today as it did 700 years ago. And that is no surprise. The theological insights out of which these cleverly spun slogans come are as whole today as they ever were, nourished from as rich a soil as they ever have been. And so too are the insights that take us in the opposite direction. Although I will avoid my own spin from the pulpit and simply assure you that they do. The complexity of the Christian's relationship with politics is that there is no party line. Even though our submission to Christ as King leads us to a place where God and politics cannot easily be disentangled. All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth, says Christ in our second reading today. And that means something. It means that we cannot, no matter how tempting, set aside our faith when looking at the world and everyone in it. This is difficult to balance. I know this, being a clergyman who is active on social media, who has his own set of politics, in a church where people far more eminent than I have made politics their profession, perhaps even their calling. In fact, no, actually their calling. And you don't all agree. Not all the time. Not with me, and not with each other. That is the wonderful thing about the world, and very specifically this church. The Lib Dem official, the Labour peer, the Tory peer, the Brexit campaigner and the Remain campaigner, the councillors, the researchers, the dutiful knockers on doors. They could each stand up here and given the right amount of time, explain why the policies they support are those which would best improve the nation, the lot of the poor, the worldwide community of which we are part. They would also be able to justify these positions theologically, for they are all thoughtful, prayerful people, whatever their party. And this is good, and as it should be, it shows more thoroughly than any godly party line how we are all under God. 
because we don't try to put God under us. When we say that the only way to be a Christian is to support this policy or that candidate, we are pretty close to committing a blasphemy. We are using our tiny little human minds, looking out over the vast expanse of the world, looking out over scripture too, and saying, isn't it good that God agrees with me? We define the divine in our own terms, and we conflate him with our efforts here on earth. We say the words, thy kingdom come, but we mean my kingdom come, as I think it should be on earth, reflecting the heaven as I would design it were I God. And so we present our political God to the nation and to the church, dressed up in such passages of scripture as conform to our previously held political views and built on the platform of such theologians and church fathers as conform to our previously held political views. And that God might seem terrifyingly convincing when we are in full flood, but under the robes and over the theologians we should see him for what he is one more idol made by man to reflect back to man the image of man and when the robes are pulled back we should we do see before us not the terrifyingly convincing deity of a moment before but a small embarrassed man like the Wizard of Oz, a puppet on our strings, repeating to us what we have told him to say. But while the God we have created may do little but reflect the image of man back at us, by curious happenstance the human beings we see around us, or we would, had law and virus not prevented us from meeting. They reflect back the divine. Not each human being, at least not in the specific context. In the more general context, of course, they do. But all of us together in our glorious disunity. And this is how we best understand the God we can but glimpse. The disciples in our reading today saw the man whom they had been following whom they had seen nailed to a cross and dead, whom they had seen carried to a tomb. They saw him standing before them on the mountaintop. And they worshipped him, but some doubted. They carried on worshipping him, however, as they slowly put together what it was they had each understood of him. Peter and James and later Paul, all of the others, they didn't agree at all. Almost the whole of the New Testament is the working out of those disagreements. But slowly, slowly they came to understand the enormity of the divine who had come among them by talking to the others who had encountered him too. And this is as true now as it was then. When trying to discern God and the will of God in this world, we will not see him most clearly on our own, or even when talking and worshipping with those who share our understanding of him. No, we will see him most clearly in those we disagree with, in those we would normally disregard, for their insights into God clashing so thoroughly with ours together tell a story of God so much richer and so much deeper and so much more real than the God we might create for ourselves, who tells us to cut the top rate of income tax, or lower the voting age to 16, or to support gay marriage, or to oppose women priests. Which is not to say that each of these policies may not be very right or very wrong on their own, just that they do not define the God whom we are called worship. So on this night when we celebrate Christ the King, 
Let us celebrate a king who transcends our politics, who subjects all of our politics under his feet, who calls us to use our reason and our theologies and our reading of scripture to try to discern how best to engage with the world around us, but to hold before us each day the knowledge that we may be wrong, at least in God, as wrong as those whom we would so normally disregard, and to hear them as they call us to truths we would not otherwise hear, and to respond robustly to them, so that they might hear those truths you have understood they have not. So Adam delved and Eve span, but we, we must never try to spin Christ the King into any little political creature of our own making. Thank you for joining us for this service, uh, the service of Evensong on this Feast of Christ the King, or Stir Up Sunday, as it used to be called, and we use the collect for Stir Up Sunday, Stir Up O Lord, uh, etc., which of course is the day in which we would normally stir up in the old days the Christmas puddings, or at least other people would, I hate Christmas pudding, personally, but other people would stir up their Christmas puddings and get it ready. Christmas and therefore it's quite a good day to stir up the excitement of Advent and Christmas for us. Um, over the next few weeks we hope that the church will once again reopen for public worship and we're hoping on the back of that that we can bring as full a programme of carol services for you if you're in London and able to join us. The first Sunday back, which is most likely to be Sunday, I think, the 5th of December, is likely to be, um, is going to be the day in which we hope to hold the Advent Carol service. The second Sunday back, the 15th, 13th, the second Sunday back, the 13th of December, is going to be the Mid-Advent Carol service, um, which is where we have a programme of music and readings which tie in with the O antiphons, those wonderful little lines of scripture before the Magnificat that get used to make up the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then two bursts of the uh, nine lessons and carols on the 19th and the 20th of December in order to try to get as many people in as possible. We can only fit in about 120 people to ensure that the church is COVID, as Covid secure as possible with seats, socially distanced. We'd normally have about 600 at each of the carol services. So we've doubled the number of nine lessons and carols, and we're hoping that you can find a space at them by booking online on our Eventbrite page. You can find those on, you can find those on our website. So we hope that that will be, will be able to bring you some Christmas cheer if you're in London. If you're not in London, we've got the excitement of six carol services that we're putting online. And these are the normal, sort of, slightly off-beam carol services that we would have here in any normal year. The German carol service, the American carol service, both with music and readings from those traditions. Um, a Dickensian carol service with music from the Victorian period and readings from Dickens. Britain's Ceremony of Carols this year with great and notable composers and musicians reading the reading, doing the readings. This year we've added a medieval carol service as well, using this wonderful ancient church in all of its particularities, and Wycliffe's Bible as well. And of course, the Nine Lessons and Carols, and those will all be available online for you. So I hope that you will either be able to join us online or be able to join us in person over the next month for carol services. And then when it comes to Christmas Day and Christmas Eve, we're looking at having two services on Christmas Eve and two services on Christmas Day so that as many people as possible are able to worship the newborn Christ here at church. And of course we'll be streaming at least one of each of those uh, for those who are not able to make it. So I hope that you're able to join us over this season 
and I hope that this will lift the heart in quite a dark year and set us up ready for what can only be a better year ahead. None of this, of course, comes cheaply. We have to pay our wonderful musicians. We have to keep up this ancient church. We have to make sure that the tech works so that you can watch this at home or listen to it. And so I would ask you, if you're able, to go to the PayPal links that should be on Facebook and on, on YouTube to make a donation as if the collection bowl were going around. If you would normally throw in a fiver or a tenner or twenty pounds to make that contribution now online. Because just because the church is empty of parishioners, I'm afraid, doesn't mean it's empty of obligations, responsibilities and hope. So we put our hope in you and I hope you put your trust in us. And I hope that we can go forward to Christmas together and find some light and some joy in this season. And now I invite you to bow your heads and to pray for God's blessing. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost be upon you and remain with you this day and always. Amen.